Welcome everyone to Rocket Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are on season six, uh, episode three, and we're here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. I am your host, Sam Snelling, uh, but with me is not our normal co-host, uh, Matt Harris, lost somewhere in the skies between Seattle and Indiana- Indianapolis. Trying to get back from a vacation, uh, failed to do so in time uh, to record this podcast. So instead, we brought everybody's uh, favorite data data anal- analyst uh, at Data Mizzou, uh, Matt Watkins. He's going to join us. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good. They say the best ability is availability, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, there had been some kind of you know discussion about. Uh, possibly trying to kind of mix up our preseason coverage and bring you in more often. Uh, so this sort of sort of worked out. And if I screw up and accidentally call you by uh, our regular host name, at least you're both named Matt. So it's it's not so bad. Um, with all that being said, let's go ahead and hop in here because uh, I know one of the things that we wanted to discuss is it's not so much uh, football, but more like athletics program related. If you uh, are subscribed to this podcast feed. You've probably already listened uh, to the quite excellent podcast of uh, post game, the K State game uh, that that Nate and BK recorded. And uh, and uh, Matt, things on Saturday didn't go very well, and so the podcast uh, got a little uh, heated and and a little bit more excitable uh, than maybe we're accustomed to. Um, you, as a a a good uh, Mizzou loving alum, uh, partook in in watching the uh, the debacle in Manhattan. Uh, do you have any any thoughts on how how it made you feel uh, watching the uh, the Tigers get smothered by the Wildcats? Well, I would like to start out by saying I I try to take a rather measured approach with things, and uh, th- that game. <clears throat> might have tested my patience a little bit <laughs> for many reasons. You stuck with um, it. Most notably of which <laughs> that it took approximately eight and a half hours to get the game in. Yeah. Um, what with weather delays and what have you, but uh, <clears throat> it was, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good showing, I don't think. And I think anyone involved with the program or any fans would probably agree with that. Um, you know, it was, it, it looked to me, like a team that had been there was playing a team that hadn't um, in a lot of respects, um, just execution wise, um, you know, K-State came out and they took what Mizzou was giving them. Um, Mizzou obviously had a plan to stop uh, Kansas State's running back and they, they did pretty well at that um, for most part of the game. But uh, you know, there were some holes elsewhere and, uh, <laughs> K-State exploited that and uh, Mizzou really, <laughs> they, they tried a number of things on offense, but really, really couldn't get it going. But yeah, it was a, you have to, you have to say it's kind of a disheartening experience, um, you know, hoping for bigger and better things, but you know, it's one game. Um, there's a lot of season left and I'm not by any means a football expert. I watch a fair share, but it's mostly in 
passing, but I would say that, that, uh, you know, the, the hope has got to be for bigger and better things in the future. Cause that wasn't it. Yeah. I sort of think it's, it's like an interesting exercise mainly because it feels like each and every football season that we've had, uh, at least under, under Drinkwitz, there's been a very big early season bump that has knocked a lot of, you know, the, the wind out of the sails for, for Mizzou and the fan base and for, uh, you know, like Rockham Nation gets a little, <laughs> quite a bit of flack for sort of writing about Mizzou and their struggles with the fan base. And one thing that I like, I feel like I, I keep having to say to be clear is like at no point is it the fans who are showing up? Is it like their fault? Like it's not Mizzou fans' fault that they don't have a program like Alabama does. Uh, but the reality is, is uh, the donor base is smaller. Uh, the the number of uh, you know diehard fans that show up regardless is smaller, um, and those people so far have not been rewarded uh, with early season hope. And I think like sure. one of the things that isn't like is it's important to capture some level of momentum. And I think Eli Drinkwitz has done a great job of sort of generating excitement in all the other months, <laughs> except for the <laughs> season months. Um, like, you know, if you, but the, the problem is, is not a lot of people. And I, I mean, it, chances are, if you're listening to a podcast like this, you are the kind of person that pays attention to this stuff. Um, but not a lot of people, like the more casual fans, the people that want to go to a game uh, and are maybe deciding, you know, like, okay, we can go to one game this fall. Uh, let's look at like late October, but the team is terrible uh, or looks terrible early in September. Maybe you're scrapping those plans. and I, like if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you know what like the recruiting rankings are. You know, uh, you know how well Drinkwitz and his staff have done each of the last couple classes, and that's not nothing, and we shouldn't dismiss that. But at some point, there needs to be some on the field momentum, uh, and if you want that on the field momentum to sort of pick up and to start filling and packing the stadium, uh, you know, then I think you're going to need to see more of the, the the guys that do have the hyper uh, recruiting rankings uh, play more. You need to see those guys develop more. And so far, it just feels like that's been lacking, um, you know, from that, from that portion of, of Mizzou athletics. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, winning is what matters. That's, that's what people come out to see. Um, <clears throat> you know, new coaches, they might get a little bump in interest know, see what the new guys got, see if anything's changed, that sort of thing. But I, I don't think there's going to be any wide scale buy-in until you win. And I think that's true in a lot of places. And, you know, Mizzou is, is different in that regard because they're playing a little bit from behind for the very reasons you said that their fan base isn't quite as big, um, which cuts both ways. You know, if you're Auburn and you go six and six the first year, you're on the hot seat. That's not the case at Mizzou. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, but on the on the other hand, to get a 60,000 seat stadium filled, you can't go six and six every year. That happens at Auburn. That doesn't happen at Mizzou, for example, which I think in some ways is kind of why the game 
Saturday was disconcerting to me, not in a, in a worry sense, but just kind of a frustration sense that we didn't get trounced by Alabama. We didn't get trounced by LSU. It was K-State. I, I think most would agree that on a good day, K-State is kind of a peer program to Mizzou as far as the revenue sports go. You know, they're kind of lower middle third of their conference as far as funding, support, challenges, whatever. <clears throat> you could even throw history in there. But, uh, you know, that was the type of program that beat the brakes off of Mizzou. So, you know, what are they doing that we're not is the question that you could ask. <clears throat> so well, Yeah, and I, I, I do think like that's sort of a similar, uh, you know, feeling It's it's like, getting the doors blown off you, you know, like I, I think a good question, we had the, uh, the rock of nation reacts question go up this, uh, this afternoon. And, and the question I was asked is like, w- what was the most disappointing loss of the Eli Drinkwitz era? You know, and, and I think when you look at like peer programs, um, it, you know, essentially if you're, if you're like Mizzou and, and not to say that you aren't trying to compete for championships, like that's not, that's not really what I'm saying when I say like the expectations on a year in and year out basis should be to be competitive. Um, and I look at a school like Kentucky, who I think you would kind of consider a little bit of a peer program. Uh, I would look at Mississippi State as kind of a peer program. And you want to be beating the, your, your peer programs more often than not. Uh, and then in order to win championships, you you basically and this really this is what happened for Mizzou uh, when they won the East uh, in back to back years is they had good fortune. Uh, you know Georgia was a little down. They beat Georgia uh, the second year. They got smoked by Georgia, but Georgia had a tough SEC schedule and lost another game, and and Missouri was able to kind of make that up. Um, you know, but I think when you're talking about competing for championships, like that's essentially how you have to kind of get there is, is you have to beat the, the, the teams that are kind of in the same place as you. And then, uh, and then hope for some good fortune and maybe you can take down, you know, Georgia, uh, maybe, you know, Florida has a down year, which happens a lot lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think like K state, um, K State probably if I, I you know I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if I had to guess, I would I would be willing to bet they spend far less on their football program than Missouri does. You know, Missouri is has pumped money into its football program, uh, in an effort to try to kind of keep up with, you know, some of the schools in the SEC. I mean, they're they're not going to compete against Georgia and Alabama, uh, or even Tennessee and Florida, but you can compete. You know with the Mississippi schools and you can compete with, uh, you know, South Carolina, even though I think Missouri is still like 15 or $20 million behind South Carolina. Um, but yeah. So I think like, that's kind of my point is like, you're, you're looking at K-State as a peer program, but K-State also is fortunate to have a coach who exudes like a real identity. And as much as like, drink and his uh his excitement in the off season like at what point do you feel like his 
Missouri football team has that kind of identity where you you know what this team's about. Like you look at Kentucky, and even even when they're playing bad, they're still tough. Like they're still physical. They still want to run the ball. They still want to defend and 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 attack and and just be really really tough and be difficult. Uh, and I feel like you get a lot of that with K State when you see how they play. They have a little bit of a, a goofy defense, but you know, like those dudes are tough and they're 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 fast and they fly to the ball. And I just don't feel like you see the same things from Missouri. Um, and I, I think like that's probably the next step in the evolution for for Drinkwitz. If 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 he's going to prove he's the guy, he's got to show that this program has an identity. And I think that's something that Gary Pinkle did well. Um, Absolutely, I would agree with you one hundred percent on that. <clears throat> you know, it's we we talk a lot about recruiting, whether it's you know typically basketball when I'm involved with it, but. Uh, we had a rather spirited conversation between us the other day, like what is success in recruiting? And it, you know, I think we, we all agree that it's when it comes down to it, it's wins, but how do you even quantify what is a good recruiting class? You know, is it, is it a highly ranked class? Is it one that wins games? Um, is it, is it one where you're competing against other major schools? What, what makes someone a good recruiter, you know? Um, and, at the very end of the day, it has to be what happens on the field. Um, you know, taking this back to basketball a little bit, the the 2009 recruiting class, you know, I don't believe there was a four-star involved in that. And yet, despite it being a relatively low bar, it was easily Mizzou's most successful class in, what, the last 20 years? Um, because they recruited good players who stuck around for four years and they performed. And that's, that's what you want in recruiting, whether it's a five-star player or a, a whatever the lowest is, I guess, two-star. Um, <clears throat> you, you want guys who can come in, win games, do what's asked and not cause a problem, you know, and that's, it sounds really simple, but it's not. Um, as both, both sports have showed over the last, certainly half decade. Um, but you know, that's, that's really the nuts and bolts of it, in my opinion. And when you get in the program, what, what are you trying to do? Um, we've talked about Gary Pinkle before, and, you know, he always had a quarterback ready to go. Um, he recruited, we'll call them developmental players, um, guys who didn't have a lot of offers that he saw something in, whether it be physical attributes, mental, whatever. And he made them into good football players. His the one thing they lacked depth at times. And a lot of that was because he relied a lot on upperclassmen. You know, he didn't have a lot of freshmen and sophomores who were ready to come in and compete at a championship level. So if you got injuries or were late in games, that could come become a problem. Um, but he had a plan. He knew what he was doing and he did it over and over again. I mean, what was his saying? We do what we do. And he, he loved that and he stuck with it. And guess what? He's our most successful football coach since the 1960s. Uh, and that was a big part of it in my view. So well, so that's I, my thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. So you, you brought up, we, we did sort of talk about, and I was probably the, the chief among uh, the commenters um, as far as like pushback on the idea of like what recruiting is. Because I, I think to a, a degree, 
once guys are on campus, the recruiting is is done for the most part. I mean, I realize now with the transfer portal, you're probably recruiting guys, you know, constantly and making sure they're going to stick around. But the point of recruiting is to get guys on campus. And then after that, your player development and your coaching is, and that's like the next step, right? And and so I think to me, what a great recruiter is, is a great recruiter is somebody who can identify the talent that he needs to win and bring that talent on on campus, get that talent on campus. Uh, you know, if you want, like, the the difference between recruiting, say, like Marcus Denman, um, Drew Smith, um, you know, guys that maybe weren't super heralded but turned into really, really great college players, uh, you know, versus Jeremiah Tillman, um, you know, the, the, the Porter brothers, uh, you know, like, Ricky Paulding. Ricky Paulding was a top, you know, I think 40 or 50 player. Um, mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of the guys that you sort of expect to come in and, and be ready to play and, and you know, be ready to, to, to help out. And then as you sort of push down the rankings, a lot of those guys, and not, not that there aren't guys that are highly ranked that can be miss, uh, misses, but um, as you push down the rankings, it becomes more about fit and becomes more about, uh, you know, place. And I think I think to a degree, like that's where you have to be able to identify what it is that you're looking for. Uh, and, and certainly we can talk about like Dennis Gates and, um, you know, him sort of bringing a lot of his Cleveland State guys, guys that are very unheralded uh, when it comes to recruits uh, and how, you know, they're going to impact play this year versus a guy like, you know, Isaiah Mosley, who, uh, you know, Mosley was top 200 level recruit, if I remember correctly, um, like a mid-level three-star, but a guy who, if you watch play, like you could see that he, he could, he could play at the high major level. He had high major offers. Um, but for whatever reason, like, you know, Conzo didn't take him, but you know, neither did every other high major. And so it's just like, so how do you differentiate? your program, you know, when you, you aren't recruiting like Alabama does in football, you aren't recruiting like Kentucky does in basketball. Um, how do you differentiate? Well, I think you have to have a defined style, uh, but you still need to go out and get the dudes who are going to help you win. Um, and getting those guys on campus and then developing them, which I think switches the category of, of uh, recruiting. I think recruiting is about getting the guys you want, and then coaching is about winning with those guys. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And you obviously said the <clears throat> said the magic word Isaiah Mosley to get me going. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I think it, it's gotten a little bit more complicated, not from what you said, but in carrying it out now that with the ease of transferring, um, you know, a lot of the developmental players that you're bringing in whether they want to leave your program or whether you want to go find guys that have developed elsewhere and bring them into the program. Take Isaiah Mosley, for example, or even Drew Smith, for that matter. Um, It's kind of changed the dynamic a little bit, in my view, that, um, you know, programs that are kind of had the thought of, well, we'll mostly be playing upperclassmen players at times if we get good enough 
underclassmen they'll play, but typically junior, senior laden teams, you know, how, how is the transfer portal going to really affect that? And we're talking about high major teams for low major teams. It's obviously not a good scenario, Um, but at the high major level, I think that's even a bit of an issue that happened with uh, coach Martin when he was here. How many players did you see that have blossomed elsewhere, leave our program? Trey Jackson immediately comes to mind. He's going to be a major focal focal point for Seton Hall this year. So how do you get guys into the program and keep them while developing them? So that's that's going to be the next kind of the next hurdle to jump, in my opinion. So well, and I do think like there's something to be said for like you know so. Dennis Gates obviously coming from Leonard Hamilton's coaching tree and, and Ham's sort of approach to uh, playing a lot of guys and, and, you know, and Gates took that approach uh, and applied it at Cleveland state. He played a lot of guys. Um, if you look at Missouri's depth chart this year, you know, and I always do the, the exercise of, you know, what's the top eight, the top eight was always about, uh, you know, like who are the guys who are going to get the most minutes, you know, to the number eight. And then you have to, you have to cut off, cut it off somewhere, but it's entirely possible. And it seems very, very likely that Missouri is rolling 10 deep this year. And that's something that like, you know, Kansa Martin and, and not just Martin, but a lot of coaches, they talk about, uh, they talk about playing fast. They talk about playing lots of guys but when it comes down to conference play and and you're on the road uh you know like you're facing up against Buzz Williams and and you know he's uh he's got you know is it that's not the the Mackey what's the Reed Arena's uh, where the AM right. plays yeah he's got he's got Reed Arena half full but you know the the yell leaders are going crazy and uh, and, and that, that bench just gets shorter, right? So maybe you were playing 10 guys early in the non-conference season when you're playing, you know, like a OVC school, um, you know, but w- when it comes to conference play, like that bench gets short. And I think like, that's one of the things that, that coaches sort of get tripped up on. And do we think like Dennis Gates, like his, uh, you know, his background coming from Leonard Hamilton, who does kind of stick with that no matter where he is. And he, but he also has these deep, deep rosters full of really long and athletic dudes. Uh, and maybe like the 10th guy is only p- playing, you know, 10 minutes or 12 minutes, but he's still playing and that keeps him engaged uh, and allows him to sort of, you know, see a path forward versus being buried on the bench and, and not playing to a, you know, a five win um, A&M team at, at Reed arena in early February. Yeah. I think that definitely has the potential to help. Um, I would say it may even have a little bit of potential to hurt, at least with your upper end players. Um, although those typically aren't the ones that are going to be transferring. Um, <clears throat> but you know, it, it's just kind of a, it's often a case by case basis. Who's in the, who's in the player's ear behind the scenes. Um, you know, is someone else telling them, Oh, I can get you even more minutes here. Does our system fit better? Your girlfriend goes here, whatever, you know, there's, (laughs) there's just so much 
there's so much going on that it, it's kind of hard to pin it just to playing time, even though I think that's probably a big factor. But whether an extra two or three, five minutes a game, whether that makes a difference, I don't know. It, it might. And you're you're 100% correct that uh, that Coach Gates does do that. I in working on some of our player previews that are going to be coming out in, what are we thinking, October? Um, <clears throat> for some of the uh, newcomers here at Mizzou, I, I took a look at minute usage over um, Coach Gates' three years at Cleveland State, and even going back to some time at uh, Florida State, and it was similar. It, it was similar. Um, at Cleveland State, the bench was a little bit shorter, I think probably due to the fact that it was a third year of a Cleveland State program versus what's uh, Coach Hamilton in at Florida State, his 20th or so year. Um, so you, you had a little bit less time to establish that, but you could see the, you, the, the idea was the same. Um, if they were still playing nine, they may not have got to a full 10 routinely. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the thought process was there. It wasn't a seven-man team stretched out to eight on a, on a good day. It was, they, were, they were running it deep. So I think we'll probably be seeing some of that next year as well. Well, so let's uh, pivot a little bit and, and talk about um, your favorite topic and, and Isaiah Mosley. Um, so Mosley, obviously, he's a guy that a lot of people are excited about. Um, one of the top transfers on the market. Uh, something kind of went Missouri's way. I think before Mosley committed, uh, I think you and, and uh, the other Matt uh, and myself were all kind of on the same page as we just didn't really see the, the roster as being at a, at a place where you could expect it to compete for a postseason bid. Uh, I was thinking like five wins, maybe six wins. Um, in conference, sure. And, yeah, in in conference play. Um, mm-hmm. so I, most of I think our listeners know at this point when I reference like win totals, I'm often talking about <laughs> conference play because you know like the non-conference schedule is going to inflate some wins here. Um, you know, but a, a team out of 18 conference games, you know, probably going to win five, six if they're if they're good. Now I'm thinking it's more like eight uh and i i think nine or ten is certainly possible um i'm not sure i'm thinking it's very likely because they do play a little bit of a tougher schedule but how much of an impact do you think this uh isaiah mosley kid's gonna have well i i would say that you may have even understated it when you know saying that folks are excited about it. I, I don't think folks are excited enough about it um <laughs> you know it's it it he's a unicorn. He really is. Um, you know, there's always going to be the question of how it translates to a higher level. And that's, that's a valid question, but, um, he dropped what 40 on Loyola Chicago, um, scored 30 against Oklahoma and then it, I mean, he, he the, he's a Isaiah Mosley can score the basketball. I yeah. mean, it, and it, the thing that just flabbergasts me about it is, you know, you've got guys, and Mizzou has had some. We've had some very good shooters over the years, Jordan Barnett being one, Cassius Robertson being another one, um, that, you know, when they catch fire behind the arc, you know, hit five, six threes in a game, okay, you're up at 20 points. Um, that's not how Isaiah, Isaiah Mosley scores. I mean, it, it's it's such a unique skill set that he possesses that, 
you know, I, I watched before I even dug into the numbers, I just watched some of Missouri State's games last year and not taking anything away from them because he did it well. But they played so much ISO ball, it just it boggled my mind that so many plays they would just clear it out and let him go to work. I mean, we're not talking ball screens, we're not talking catch and shoot jumpers, even post ups. They're just here you go, go eat. You know, and that's what he did. And he just kept scoring and kept scoring. I, I had really never seen anything like it. Um, you know, we would often talk about Will Wade, at least before this past year, that he really didn't run much offense. He had great players, so he let them let them go score, you know, however they needed to do it. And Cam Thomas was a perfect example of that. I remember him up at Mizzou Arena. He just got the ball and scored. There was nothing we could do to stop it. You know, there was no no big secret as to what they're going to do. Um, and they kept doing it. And no one could stop them. That is the type of talent that Isaiah Mosley is. And then for some reason they would like throw the ball into Trent Trent and Watford like on the the block where you like look at the stats and you're like why is he on the block he's averaging like a half a point per possession down there maybe maybe try doing something else because I mean obviously a, a skilled offensive player but it, I think your 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 point is true is like when you when you have somebody who does something and does it really well you want to give them as many opportunities to to do that thing <laughs> as possible and for mosley it's it, it's very much just scoring the basketball yeah and there's a there's a lot of ways he can do it i mean he this isn't to say that's the only way he does it it's just that's the hardest way to score in basketball there is no easier there is no more difficult way there everything else that you can possibly imagine is a more efficient way to score the basketball than isolation. And yet he was more efficient in isolation than most players are at anything else. And, you know, in the few times that he would spot up, he was excellent. The few times you would post up, he was excellent. You know, there, there just really isn't a major flaw in his game. So it it's kind of like, what do you, how do you use him? You know, do you kind of go the, Missouri State route and say, hey, this is what he's really good at. Let's just let him do it. Or do you even try and improve upon that? And I think I had mentioned this in a, in a previous podcast, but I had listened to Coach Gates and he was kind of laying out his offensive theory. And I believe it was that in the first six to eight seconds of the clock, they're going to hunt in transition. And if they don't get something, the next 10 to 15 seconds, they're going to run their, they're going to run their offensive sets in the half court, try and look for the best shot. And then for the last five to seven seconds, that's when they get the ball in their playmaker's hands and let them go. Before Isaiah Mosley came on board, there's a legitimate question. Who, who was that person going to be? Well, we don't have that question anymore because we know who it is. It's arguably the best isolation score in college basketball. So when you're looking at your offense, that really makes things a lot easier. That transition is the most efficient way to score. If you don't have that, you look for guys in the half court set for what they do well. And if you don't get that, you give it to one of the best scorers in college. I mean, that's that's a pretty good offensive setup. Um, and obviously scoring is not the only thing that dictates winning basketball. But, you know, when you're 
in close games, which believe it or not, Mizzou was in quite a few of those last year and most of them didn't go their way, that you can start racking up wins quick if you can beat expectation in close games. And having someone like that, I think, is a key factor. And not to bring up Wisconsin, but I will. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Johnny Davis was an exquisite score last year. Um, Wisconsin otherwise was a highly mediocre team. Um, Their their metrics weren't that great, but I think at one point in time, they were something like 14-1 and in two possession games. And what did that end up with? I believe they were a three seed in the NCAA tournament, won the Big Ten championship. Not saying that's going to happen to Mizzou, but that's the type of difference one guy like that can make. Well, I think that's kind of like, you know, maybe the benefit just overall of, of, of basketball is, I mean, you're always one guy away from from having a, just a completely different team. And as we were kind of, look, look, you know, Dennis Gates went all in on guys that he was familiar with, which... You know, to a degree, like I'm, I'm okay with that when you're in year one and you're like you're wanting to kind of set the tone. You want to bring in guys that understand what you're trying to accomplish. They can coach up uh, off the floor, like you know, guys that you want to sort of be in the program around the program. Uh, you know, I think like Noah Carter is a a good example of somebody that you're bringing in. Um, you, you're going to have him for a couple of years and. And you want him to kind of be who like Trey Gamillion and, and Des Moines Hodge are going to be this year. Uh, and then you're hoping that, you know, Aiden Shaw is a guy who can kind of carry that on. Uh, and so those two guys can kind of impose upon, uh, you know, whoever's on the roster next year. And so that's how you sort of, you know, build and establish your culture. And so it's a little bit of a jump start on the culture. But if you look at like the, the, transition from going uh from the horizon league and you know and demoy hodge and and trigamillion were both very good players in the horizon league but you know the sec is not the horizon league and adding not just those two but also adding uh, deandre golston um you know there was i sort of figured that they were just going to be they were going to be better uh, they they were probably going to be more competitive. There weren't going to be the kind of blowouts that we saw last year, um, and the blowouts are I think the thing that probably got Martin Can more than anything. Um, but then you you add the one thing that's really been missing off this roster for probably three four years really, uh, and that's just the guy who can get you a bucket. Um, and and realistically, like. Mosley is probably the best scorer uh, that Missouri has had um, since, I don't know, Jabari Brown. I I would say, you know, I, I think he's at least with his Missouri Valley stats, so take it with a grain of salt. You know, there aren't many players in Mizzou's history, at least recent history, last 20, 20 or so years that really compare. Um, both Jabari and uh, Jordan Clarkson were very talented scorers. They were a little bit less efficient, so it's fair that you know you could put them in the same group. Um, but you're exactly correct. It, it's just it, 
Mizzou hasn't had that. And, you know, I think there were a lot of problems with last year's team. We could go into defense and talk about the last five years and my thoughts on that and spend hours. Um, but we're obviously not going to do that since that's not the topic at hand. Um, but, you know, having a guy like that who can carry the load, you know, coaches often talk about um, roles and often I think the score role is kind of glossed over, but it, it's an important one because um, you've got what, 70, 75 possessions in a game if you're playing up tempo. Um, the goal is to get a shot off and score in each one of those. So who is going to be carrying the bulk of your load on that? Um, and last year, Mizzou really didn't have a guy that was comfortable and effective in that role to do it. Um, Kobe, very good player, but I, you know, I think he's, once he got keyed on, which we know that he did, um, you know, there's not many guys who can beat double and triple teams and he couldn't, and that's no fault of his own. It was just the natural progression of not having a guy who can get buckets and then having guys below him who excel in their roles. And having that guy just bumps everyone down a notch, which is a great thing in basketball because it takes a little pressure off and lets them do what they do well and not overextend themselves. Um, you know, if um, Boogie Coleman last year was simply asked to be a spot-up shooter and run a little bit of off-ball action and maybe be a secondary ball handler, how much better could he have been? Instead, he was required to do the lion's share of the ball handling, score off the bounce, which he wasn't incredibly proficient at. Um, and then you move Amari Davis from more of a slasher role, complimentary piece into the off ball guard, which not a great outside shooter, but can score inside. Um, you know, it, it just throws everything off kilter and it's kind of a cascading effect in my view. Um, you know, so just theoretically speaking, if you put Isaiah Mosley on last year's team, you're probably five, six wins better in my opinion. So how much that works out to this year, I don't know. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. We'll need to see what they look like defensively, especially, um, you know, whether their ball handling that they've brought in is up to snuff. And I think it probably will be. Um, but those are questions. Will they have the size inside to, clean up the glass, play some rim defense, you know, that that's going to be a legitimate question, but taking one thing off the table is huge and not having to worry about who can get you buckets late in the clock and just be an all around score. That's, that's a major key to have. Well, I think that's one of the things that we talked a lot, um, talked a lot about when Michael Porter Jr. was, you know, hovering around that entire offseason is what somebody with a natural gift for scoring uh, was going to be able to do and the, and, and the impact that he could have had on that Missouri roster uh, and obviously didn't end up having. Um, you know, I think Missouri was very fortunate uh, to, to have, you know, Cash play as well as he did and and Jordan Barnett play as well as he did and still have Jonte and Jeremiah who were, you know, really pretty good as freshmen and on the inside. Um, you know, and also some credit goes there to, you know, Jordan Geist, uh, who just improved sure. immensely, um, 
under under Martin. But but the one thing and that Kevin that, Purrier had some moments that year as well. Yeah, I mean, I, really, I think I think I think Kanza did a really great job with that roster. Um, but if you think about just the difference of somebody who could shoot it and score it like Michael Porter Jr. was capable of and adding that dynamic in. And then again, like you push everybody down the line. So instead of needing cash to be like 26, 28% usage, you push him down to about 18 to 20% usage. And he's just bombing, you know, catch and shoots, um, right. You know, or, or well, think of how many open shots he's going to get too. Yeah. And, and that's nothing I was going to say is, is the amount, uh, even if, even if, uh, you know, he's, he catches a heater and now the defense, you know, like draws, uh, closer to him. Now you have more, uh, open room to, you know, for, for somebody like, you know, Michael Porter Jr. to operate. And I think that's kind of the element that we're talking about with what Mosley can bring is he's going to draw attention and that attention, you know, he's going to have the best defender on him. Um, you know, but that means that the best defender isn't on your your next top score. And 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 somebody like Kobe Brown and somebody like, you know, Noah Carter and uh you know, guys like that are, are gonna have more open opportunities because worse defenders are gonna be on them. Um, you know, and, and instead of uh instead of having to, you know, face up against, you know, one step up on the on the defensive level as well. You're absolutely right, and I mean there weren't a whole lot of guys that we faced that Mizzou faced last year that could stop Kobe one on one for a full 35 40 minutes a game. But the benefit of facing Mizzou last year is you didn't need one guy to do it. You could a lot two or three guys to do it. Keep <laughs> Mizzou out of the paint. You could just let, uh, let them go to your Twitter hope feed that they and don't have an... <laughs> <laughs> look at the right. pin post, just right? Basically, the key to defending Mizzou last year was protect the paint and hope that they don't have an outlier performance from three-point range. And 90% of the time, that was a very, very good defensive strategy. You know, well, it, it was that simple. Having good players makes you hard to defend. And Mizzou was not a hard team to defend last year. Some some coaches who will not drag through the mud any more than we need to struggled with it. Um, <clears throat> Nate Oates, um, <laughs> but uh, but it you know I we we talked a lot about Eric Musselman, but you know he he had the game plan. You know both times Mizzou played Arkansas, the game plan was do not do not let them get easy shots at the rim take shots anywhere else on the court. And Mizzou did. Mizzou did repeatedly and Mizzou didn't make him. So what happened, you know, is a 40 point win and a 20 point win, I think was what the final deficits were. Um, you know, so when you've got a guy like Isaiah Mosley on your team, you can't do that. Especially when you've got a guy like Kobe Brown, or you've got a guy like Noah Carter, or even any of our new guards that Mizzou has brought in. Um, you know, Sean East, Nick Honor, the two Cleveland straight Cleveland state transfers with uh, Trey Gomillion and um, Demoy Hodge. You know, these guys, they may not be elite shooters, but they can shoot the ball. And when you're open, shots become a lot easier. 
Yeah. And when you've got two or three guys that can score the basketball, those shots become a lot easier. Well, Matt, the uh, I think the, the the hour is late here. Um, anything else that you wanted to to say before we we get on out of here? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I would drop a plug that we're currently underway on our player previews, and we would expect those to be out, I guess, in late October in the lead up to the season. And yeah, we got to work out the check the, those out. Got to work out the scheduling. I think sometime mid October the SEC team previews are going up. I'm still uh, hammering out the non conference previews. Those are hitting every Friday. Um, Matt and Matt uh, are both doing a good job as far as providing some really nice player previews. So those will those will be hitting uh, the can. We got to figure out a posting schedule. There's a lot of players to get to, um, but I think it's going to be a really interesting season, at least, um, and certainly a, a fun one. Just you know, new things are fun, right? Isn't that how it goes? Absolutely, and we've got a we've got a pretty fun schedule this year. The the Mizzou Tigers do. Um, Epic. You know, the, the, it gets off to a slow start. Yeah, maybe not the first seven once, or eight games, but <laughs> <laughs> that gives you that gives you an opportunity to get the new get to know the new guys. And then once, once you get a feel for them, that's when the, uh, that's when the heat picks up. Well, so everyone, thanks for, uh, for tuning in for this. Um, if you did like this podcast, um, you should probably make sure you're subscribed. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on your podcast, feed wherever you download and listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple podcasts, the Google play store or Spotify, uh, or you can just, Wait for, for Levi to post it on the old uh, Rock Nation uh, homepage and, and click and listen in your browser. Um, if you are subscribed, though, you always get the before the box score post. Uh, I would really recommend going at, if you haven't already, and listen to Nate and BK's last podcast. It was certainly a lot of fun. Uh, all that beamed directly into your phone. You'll also probably enjoy reading everything that we have over at rockandnation.com. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam T. Snelling. Uh, you could follow the other Matt if you want. Um, go tell him how he was not missed for this podcast at Matt J. Harris 85. Please go give uh, Matt Watkins a follow at Data Mizzou. Um, we're all very happy that you tuned in tonight. We will be back in a couple weeks with more uh, Mizzou basketball talk. Uh, who knows who my co-host will be then? Uh, but until then, thanks for tuning in.